this now? My ballerina costume does. Grammy? Who are you? No, uh-uh, I don't remember. Kentucky Ghost Hunter Show. This is Dean, the Kentucky Ghost coming to you live from Center, Kentucky, home of Kentucky Ghost Hunter. And along with me, I have my co-host from Stone Creek Preternatural, Kevin Quatman out of Cincinnati, Ohio. Say hi, Kevin. Hello, everyone. Good evening. Hey, and we are here tonight with, with Doc Ineas, and he has uh, been seen on Pawn Stars, Mysteries at the Museum, Jay Leno's Garage, HDTV, 40 featured films, archaeology. And an avid paranormal enthusiast. And before we get into your story, I think I skipped something. Mark, don't don't you do the haunted hotels out there too? Correct? Is that Doc? Yes, sir. I am. Um, I'm on this current uh, time of haunted ho- haunted hospitals, and uh, it's haunted hospitals. It's on Travel Channel on Monday nights and filming out of Toronto, Canada. That's excellent. And we are live on iHeartRadio right now. Also, now Doc, you were telling us your story, and I kind of short i apologize for that uh but i want no to no be able to hear you tell, tell us your story man go for it well um you know i was just saying that i've basically been into this whole idea of paranormal investigating and paranormalism and ghost busting and all of those ideas since i was 10 years old so uh that means 60 years right <laughs> 60 years i've been into this subject and the way that I came into this is kind of strange, but I, I always tried to advise my parents, right, being the youngest kid in the family, and this was in the 1950s, and my father decided to buy this big, huge mansion that had been built during the Civil War, and it was gorgeous. It had four fireplaces, 24 rooms in the house, upstairs, downstairs, antebellum mansion, and I walked into it and said, wait a minute, you cannot buy this place, Dad. I'm telling you, something is really, really wrong with this house. And I couldn't get anybody to listen to me or believe in me being the youngest kid in the family, you know, I'm 10 years old. So we proceed to move into this house, and all sorts of strange things start happening. Like, I would wake up in the middle of the night and hear babies crying. There were no babies in our family. I was 10 years old, right? And I would go downstairs to the kitchen, and every single cupboard in the kitchen was open. Very weird, you know? 
Another night I came out and I asked my mother, why are you washing all the knives in the house? Well, I went into the kitchen and every single knife in our house, steak knives, dinner knives, were all on like the chopping board, uh, you know, the place where uh, we would prepare food. So there were really strange, bizarre things going on in the middle of the night, howling sounds, all sorts of weird things. Yet nobody would believe me that something was wrong. So I said, that's it. I'm going to the county, and I'm going to find out who had this house before us. I want to know the provenance of this house. Something here is really, really wrong. And it turned out that during the Civil War, the house had been used as a morgue, and that, you know, hundreds of soldiers had been placed in there. There were 11 wells on the property, and back in the 1800s, uh, when they had a lot of dead bodies from war, they would put them down wells and seal the wells. So 11 wells on the property had been filled with dead bodies from war, unfortunately, soldiers, and sealed. So can you imagine that going on in this house? And it, I checked its provenance at one point. It had been, you know, sort of a house with madams, you know, uh, during the Civil War. <laughs> and uh, there were, uh, maybe that was the reason why there were babies crying at night. But, I mean, there was serious, serious paranormal activity going on and the final last straw for me was one night i woke up in the middle of the night and my bedroom closet went directly upstairs to the attic that was where the attic steps were inside my closet and the door of the closet slammed open broke everything on the wall so i knew it wasn't hallucinating and i looked there in the closet door and there was a, a definitely a civil war man standing in the closet with saber raised and I never saw anything like that as a child, so terrifying to the point where I couldn't scream, I couldn't yell out. I just stood there in amazement looking at this apparition. And so upon investigation, I found out that there was a Civil War captain, Captain McCorder, who had passed away in my bedroom. So all of these things I was feeling as a child about ghosts and paranormalism and that there was this this very thin veil between our real world and the paranormal world turned out to be right in my face true, right in my family home. That's my story. Wow. Hey, i got to ask you a question. Back in the sure. Now, you started paranormal investigating about what year, do you think? Actual doing the investigation. Um, now, you've done that, correct? I yes. I would say really seriously. I mean, I was investigating it when I was just a boy, you know, living in this house. I was already on it, but where I actually had some psychic abilities that I could recognize was around 1960, and 1960 was when there was just tremendous activity going on in our house to the point that they couldn't even find me a babysitter. You know, they would try to get a babysitter in this mansion, and, and I would be sitting there watching TV with a babysitter, and we would hear someone step right down the main staircase of the house. I mean sounded exactly like somebody like clomping right down the stairs and the babysitter would scream and run out the front door. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, I, I was really looking at this stuff back then. And then, of course, as I've gotten older, you know, I, I do a more sophisticated investigation. And now, you know, I'm doing investigations all the time. Uh, Big River Steampunk Festival is a big festival that we have in Hannibal, Missouri. And I take people out to the oldest graveyard in the state of Missouri 
which is there in Hannibal. There isn't any grave out there prior, I mean, uh, beyond 1850. So the tombstones are old, and we go in groups and go out there, and we go out there with a lot of different types of equipment, steampunk equipment, and then more sophisticated equipment, and there, it's just going off every meter. You, you just can't even imagine the activity that goes on in a place like Hannibal, Missouri. So you know, I I've got to, I've got to, let me, let me ask real quick, Kevin, yeah. I'll let I'm dying. I've been wanting to ask somebody this for a long time. 1960. Let's take you back to 1960. Tell me what an yeah. investig. You know, today we have all the sophisticated equipment, like you said. Everybody's got new equipment coming out. 1960, right. you didn't have that. What did What did you That's do for true. an investigation? I mean, collect evidence. In 1960, you know, if you believed in ghost busting or you believed that there were ghosts, people thought you were crazy. Um, I lived in Kansas at the time and. And if I couldn't even mention it to certain people, you know, they didn't want to talk about that. They considered themselves to be good Baptists, you know, and they they really didn't want to hear that maybe those houses in that old town was very haunted. And so um, you couldn't really talk about it. It wasn't really a free subject. Only a weirdo, you know, a so-called weirdo would talk about ghosts being in their house. But there were a few people who would listen, and we had no equipment. We had dowsers. So I started using dowsers back in the 60s, you know, and I still use them today. I absolutely love them, uh, especially being a steampunk. You know, we really like going the old-school way. So there's nothing like a good pair of dowsers. I've got a, a pair right here. So if you've never seen dowsers, uh, this is what dowsers are for all you people out there on Facebook. And, you know, you basically go in, and it's going to show you, you know, whether there's activity or not. Um, I love the new equipment, and, in fact, right now I'm up for a really big television show, kind of based on my performance on haunted hospitals. And um, it's basically going to be all over the world investigating paranormal activity on water. So we're going to be all over the world doing that show. We're going to be in the Ganges River, the Nile, the Amazon. The, Mississippi, well, cool. the great rivers of the world, because it's strange how paranormal activity oftentimes will follow a great body of water. Well, that's that's so, fascinating, actually. I'd like to do yeah, that. Yeah, it's really fascinating. So I'm I'm very excited. It's going to be on a major major network worldwide. So, and I'm really happy to be on Haunted Hospitals. Um, the stories, the story that I shared most recently on that show will chill you to the bone. I mean, it's as good as any Stephen King story, believe me, of what I went through helping a woman die in her hospital bedroom. And then I went on to investigate her house that she left to her daughter, and her daughter was so scared of her mother, she was afraid to even enter that house. That's how paranormal that house was. And, I mean, pictures of her mother on the wall, it was like, Entering Collinwood, if you've ever watched the old Dark Shadows series, that's what her mother's house was like. I mean, you know, serious ghosts, maybe witchcraft, a lot of wizardry going on. And you know me, I'm, I'm an archaeologist by trade, so I plow right in. I go, I go right into Egypt and Valley of the Kings. I go right into the tombs. And believe me, a lot of those archaeological spots that I go into are seriously haunted. But archaeologists never talk about it, because if they were to admit, let's say, that the King, King Tut's tomb in Valley of the Kings, which I've been in many, many times, 
And I found that tomb to be so utterly haunted by Tut, right? And that there's a big story there that Tut wants us to know that was never, ever told. And if they admit to that, they might lose their credentials at the university, you know? It's a little bit like believing in a UFO if you work for NASA, you know? <laughs> so I'm What's well, okay now to believe in UFOs? <laughs> yeah, exactly. NASA's <laughs> talking about UFOs now. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm one of those guys that I'm just all about, let's be honest about it. Come on, we're scientists. Don't close your eyes to it. Open your eyes to it. And if there's ghosts in these tombs, we need to acknowledge that there is actual paranormal activity going on in our archaeological work that we need to record. That something is here, some type of vortice. That's very fascinating. Why are we backing away from that scientifically? Why don't we just plunge right into it, just like I do when I think I'm Indiana Jones and I'm, I'm climbing right into a tomb all my students are behind me on drones. You know, they've got drone technology basically following me through these tombs, and I'm climbing through right with snakes, scorpions. Who cares? You know, I just want to know. I, <laughs> I don't want to leave any stone unturned. I, so I now, want to know. You know, I want yeah. knowledge. So, Doc, you're going to have to tell us now because you brought it up. What's the story about King Tut? You said he had a story he wanted everybody to know, and we've got time. So what's that story? <laughs> well, you know, there's been so much speculation over the years about King Tut. And, and I, I think everybody felt like, well, look, the guy was Pharaoh. He was 18 years old, and he had a big hole in the back of his head. What happened, right? You know, so a lot of people for years have speculated that, Somebody knocked him out and took over. And we know that one of his generals, who was not real royalty, Horemheb, right, became like the next pharaoh. So King Tut was the son of Akhenaten, right? And if you know anything about Egyptology, you know that Akhenaten was the pharaoh who, who changed Egyptian religion. Egypt, Egyptian religion up to the time of Akhenaten was very, very... Uh, much filled with many, many gods, all different types of gods. Some like Horus with the head of a falcon, some like Sobek with the head of a crocodile, right? So when Akhenaten took over, he said, no, there is now one god, and it is Aten, the sun god. And he moved the entire Egyptian religion away from Luxor and Karnak and moved it to Tel El Armana and established a whole new religion with Nefertiti, where he was basically worshiping the sun as one god. And that really angered a lot of the Egyptian priests, you know, who had a very, very good business, just like kind of like the Catholic Church. You know, you had to make a payment every month, and, you know, you had to pay for your sins, more or less, and they would do certain rituals for you. Suddenly that was all gone. So with the son of Akhenaten on the throne, he decided to go back to the ancient religion. He decided to go back and start placating all of the gods, and suddenly he's knocked off. And we know it happened quite suddenly, uh, because his wife, uh, you know, basically had to scramble to get him a tomb. And although it's the most beautiful tomb that we've ever, ever found, really, in the archaeology world, uh, we still know that the way that that tomb was arranged, it was done absolutely on the spare of the moment. It is not the right size tomb for a pharaoh of his stature. 
even though the sarcophagus, all the art, his jewelry, absolutely everything was impeccable and gorgeous. And that's probably the reason why we ended up with artifacts, because it was in the wrong place, you know. That's how it remained undisturbed for all those years. But I think that there's a big story around King Tut, and I think that when they discovered the tomb, his spirit was very much present there. Every time I've, I've gone in the tomb, I have felt the energy and forces moving around, observable phenomenon. And so many bad things were happening in that tomb, we actually put the body back in. So the mummy of King Tut is back in his tomb. Not with the sarcophaguses, but it is installed back in the tomb because we felt, you know, Egyptologists felt that his spirit was so disturbed, not, you know, being able to rest in his resting place that was selected for him. How how do you get access to all these tombs? Well, you know, you have to be a a bona fide archaeologist and be invited to a dig. Uh, You know, Salawi's pretty much in charge in Egypt. So when I go in, I go in at an invitation. And now we go in much less invasively. Back in the olden days, you know, take a hole and drill it right through the tomb, right? Uh, Now we have drone technology. We have infrared scanning. So we can basically, we just recently infrared scanned completely around the pyramids, and we can see a whole catacomb of undiscovered sites in Giza. All around the pyramids, we, we, we just found this giant boat that was buried in the sand there. Uh, we recently found an enormous temple the size of three football fields in the, in the city of Edfu along the Nile. And uh, now we can do it with infrared scanning, and we don't unwrap the mummies. In the old days, in the 1800s, they would take the wrappings off the mummy, and now we can just put them through a CT scanner like from Siemens. And, you know, I'm basically standing there going, look, there's a 3,000-year-old case of gingivitis. <laughs> you know, I can see everything. I can see why that person died, how long they lived, you know, if they were in good health, uh, if there's any anatomical anomalies, which we look at those with the Egyptians because, believe me, there are some strange anatomical anomalies among the Egyptians that, to me, do not look human. Okay. Are you still there, guys? Yeah, I'm still here. I wonder if we lost Dean. <laughs> you almost did. I'm sorry, guys. I was trying to ask a question, and it just didn't go out. So I apologize, Doc. I had a lightning strike here, and I was question. I said, oh, oh they yeah, can't hear me anymore. So. Hey, everybody out there on Facebook, Kentucky's under a lightning storm. So <laughs> if you hear a pause there, you know, they're probably hovering. They're hovering at this moment, hoping they don't get hit by lightning. But um, I, I like that well, idea well, of actually, the lightning on the other end. Yeah, yeah, it's actually pretty until it gets close and you realize it's not so pretty anymore. But <laughs> Oh, yeah. Let's, uh, hey, I'm a Kansas man. I'm the Wizard of Oz. You know, I, I'm the guy that spent my childhood in a storm shelter, so believe me. Oh, I, I used to up live up around. You know where, uh, not Olathe, but the Eudora, Eudora camp around Lawrence? Oh, heck yeah. Yeah. I, I, I know I that area of Kansas. a couple years me. in my youth. So I, I have, left I've Kansas actually in a balloon, and I've never gone back. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I've actually experienced a roof coming off my head up in Kansas. That's one of the reasons I had to move back oh, to Kentucky, man. where I belong. We don't have the roofs come there's, off too much here. 
there's so much power in those storms there, and I and I feel for those people. I know they're under a storm watch even tonight as we're speaking. So I've got some people uh-huh. watching from Oklahoma. So that kiss is for you, and be safe, everybody. I I understand how deadly those storms can be. Oh, but, most uh, definitely, most definitely. You know, I, I think it even gets more powerful if you can imagine me as a child growing up in a 24 room haunted mansion. You know, from the Civil War where there's dead bodies buried all over the place, and I, I'm going through, like, those Kansas lightning storms, <laughs> you know. And, uh, man, I had I had some moments in my childhood I was literally terrified, you know, just terrified. And there were apparitions, all kinds of things appearing, and I had this amazing, somehow unwarranted psychic ability from, uh, you know, from a very young age that I had to integrate into my personality. So um, I have a new television show, by the way, that's coming out soon, and I'm practicing one of my psychic gifts on the show, and it's the show is called Touched, and what I'm using is the gift, all you guys on Facebook, there you go, <laughs> I'm using the gift of psychometry. So psychometry is where you pick up an object, and by feeling that object, you start knowing the provenance. You know the story of that object. So when I pick up something, you know, in people's homes, I start telling them what I feel about the story of that object. And a lot of times that information, when I'm on Pawn Stars, people are saying, how do you just walk out there with Rick and Chum Lee and you just start giving provenance on items? You just start telling people, hey, that's what this is, you know, the and, and you know it, emphatically you know it. And it's because I'm not only using my training as an archaeologist and a person who is a professor of antiquities with a Ph.D. from England, uh, but I'm also tapping in psychically to know what those items are and to know the secret of those items. So this new show, I go to people's homes, and I'm looking at the cool stuff in their house and basically identifying it for them. It's going to be a great show. Have you have you run into any objects right now that have attachments to it? Well, I just did, as a part of Touched, a show where a woman brought me a piece of jewelry. And it's a very fine piece of jewelry, actually, you know, from a very, very famous house in Europe. Uh, and, and the minute I felt it, the mojo on that piece was so bad, the attachment on it was so bad, I made her... I told her she had to go and put it away in a safe place, not keep it on her person, because she was going to wear it to get married. And I had to stop her from doing that and put it away in a safe place. And at one point, she didn't listen to me, and she just kept it on her person, and she had so much bad luck. I mean, really, really terrible, horrible, bad things happened to her. Ended up homeless, and her boyfriend jilted her. And, you know, so... uh, I I have learned over the years of the accuracy of my psychic insight and that when I have psychic insight on certain items or people or I go up and I tell someone, hey, don't do what you're doing because I can see where this is all going and this is going to end up really, really bad. And if they don't listen to me, it, it almost always ends up bad. So, you know, I'm never wasting my breath with people when I'm talking to people, I'm really, really trying with all my heart to help them, you know, especially when you get to be 70 years old. You know, um, I'd like to think that I'm that 
grandfather, mentor, professor who has many, many years of experience, amazing experiences. And I try to use them to help people, never to harm, but to help. And even sometimes, you know, I have to tell people they have to change what they're doing or else I see catastrophe ahead, you know? So um, how that... Let me, let me, let me yeah, ask sure. you a quick doc. And, sure. and, uh, and I'm trying to figure out how I wanted to, to say this, but I guess it's just, uh, you know, in the paranormal world, and we've talked to a lot of people on this show, a lot of people, the UK, whatever, all over the world that's been on our show, and, and every one of them has sometimes ran into something that affected them. Besides, you know, you being 10 years old and, and, and all that stuff happening to you, as you've done your investigations and you, you've you've talked to other people and you've visited these places. Give me a couple examples of some of the situations you ran into that just quite, you know, kind of put the, the hair on the back of your, your or the skin on your back of your neck popping up and all that, where you just knew it was wrong and you had, and you had to deal with it. Well, I think, you know, due to a lot of interviews uh, around the world, people have found out that, you know, Doc Phineas is not just that, that archeologist who comes on the history channel and identifies all of their things, but that I have these gifts and I have these abilities that, uh, you know, like the Berkeley Psychic Institute measured my psychic ability at 95%, and the only person that scored that high was Sylvia Brown. So Sylvia Brown, myself, Kenny Kingston, were pretty much at the same level of psychic abilities, right? And so people now are seeking me out from around the world that are really having problems. And I had a woman here in Las Vegas come to me, and she said, we have some kind of terrible spirit in my house. It's just eating away at my beautiful 12-year-old daughter. And she's manifesting all kinds of illnesses now, like fibromyalgia. And, and we think something is in the house. Would you, could you uh, come to our house, name your price, you know, whatever, whatever it is that you need to come and help us so that we can save our daughter. And so I went to the house in Las Vegas, and I met this beautiful girl. I mean, absolutely, probably the most stunning girl in her class, inside and outside, with a heart of gold. And yet I said, what is going on? And she said, at night, when I go in my bedroom, something is like biting me, won't let me sleep, bothering me, bouncing all over the room. So she said, everybody thinks I'm crazy. Nobody will take me seriously. And I said, let me tell you, you're preaching to the choir here. <laughs> I know how that feels when you're 12, when you can feel something and nobody else believes it. So I basically started going around the room with all of my equipment. And right there on the side of the bed where she slept was a huge column of energy. And this energy was just swirling out of control. Really nasty, negative energy, so bad that I, I could feel it biting me, so I knew it had to be biting her. So I went and got her mother immediately, and I said, you have to move her out of this bedroom. Move, do not allow her to sleep one more night in this bedroom. And, and they listened to me and moved her, and then I went in there to start to deal with it. And there was an entity in that room that was so angry and so unhappy, and I tried to pry into figuring out what energy was trapped in there that was so unhappy that would not leave this girl alone. And I start, decided that I better investigate the neighborhood. 
So I went around to all the neighbors, and I said, did anything happen in that house? Because I need to know. There's some seriously weird stuff going on. Can you guys tell me what is going on in that house? And one of the neighbors finally confessed that a boy had committed suicide, and he had committed suicide in that bedroom. And he was a very troubled young man, like 14 years old, very strung out, really in trouble with the authorities, the law, doing a lot of drugs. And uh, he had killed himself in that bedroom where she was staying. So once again, you know, it confirmed exactly what I felt, all of the e-meters, everything that we were using, the EV, um, you know, all of the, the devices I brought in with students of mine from UNLV who, you know, are very, very tech savvy. They had computers in there, the whole thing. It was just absolutely confirmed. So, okay, now we busted the ghost, right? Now we know that there is a ghost in that room who's terrorizing that house. Where do you go from there? What do you do next? Because one of my big criticisms of paranormal work is most people just identify it, and they don't do anything with it. They either leave it there, or they say, well, now we identified it, we're done. You know how it is on TV. But I can't do that. I, uh, my process has to be the full process. So I started going in the room, meditating, working with that energy, trying to get that energy to reshape and leave that family alone. And uh, I went to India and was trained uh, by the Theosophical Society of Madame Blavatsky in Adyar, India. And they actually trained me on the ancient Egyptian methods of releasing a ghost, right? Of getting ghosts to leave a property and of doing cleansings. And I'm very, very good at it. You know, that's all I can say is they seem to listen to me. Uh, if they don't get out, I threaten them. <laughs> And let me tell you, you know, I, I know some very powerful things. I have spells, mantras. I've got a very powerful wand. I, I don't hesitate to clear energy when energy is negative like that and hurting human beings that are alive. You know, I've got to ask this, Doc. Look, look, Doc, let me ask you quick because before okay. I forget this, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I, no, that's I've okay. got to ask this. We've had, yeah, we've had people that's come on and, and – and, <laughs> You know, one person has techniques, another person has another technique, another person has another. And they all say they're right about how to act of a ghost or an entity that's bothering somebody. I'm going to give you a twofold question because one goes into sure. the other one. The first thing I'd like you to do is, if you could, because you seem to be the, one of the most experienced persons we've ever had on our show. But number one, there is categorizations of different entities that we deal with in a paranormal world. You got shadow figures, ghosts, yeah, uh, poltergeists, blah blah blah. Yeah, but yeah, my question, number one question is, is the difference in those three to you? And the other question is, I would like you to kind of give an example. I know you're saying you have spells and all that, but a lot of people come into a house and they'll, they'll burn incense and, and uh, yeah. blow and say, oh, your house is clean. I personally don't believe that does any good. I could be wrong. <laughs> but I'd like for you to kind of elaborate on, you know, if somebody's got a ghost in their house and it's, in it, and it's not being very nice, what you actually do to get rid of that ghost, just to kind of give me a reference if you don't care. Of course. Well, you know, and I know there's three basic categories of ghosts, and I would say I have more like ten basic categories uh, of ghosts that I that I pretty much, uh, you know, that I pretty much look at. But of those ten basic categories of ghosts, there are ghosts I think that are very benign, that don't intend any harm. I think there's spirits that move in and out of this world 
that are very loving spirits like moms and dads that have passed away, and they're just checking on their loved ones to see if there's anything that they can do uh, to help them. And you can feel those good vibrations of those good spirits coming in and out of your life. But then there are trapped entities like I found in this house where someone left this world in a very, very unhappy state. And that, to me, is what I categorize as a hungry ghost. It is a ghost that's hungry to do harm. They're in harm, and they want harm. So that sort of ghost, I have very, very specific spells that I have been trained in by the theosophist. And it's not something that you can really share uh, over the the over the radio. It's something that takes years and years of research and practice uh, to be able to, to do it properly. And I think it's something that you absolutely have to go and study. I spent seven years in India living in the home of Madame Blavatsky and studying many of her techniques. I'm also really good at giving seances. And so I've done a lot of almost like Victorian-style old-school seances over the years, and they've been very revealing for those kinds of activities. In, in the Hindu world, um, I am respected as a Swami. I have been actually initiated uh, by my guru or my master in India. And when you go through an, an initiation like that, one of the things you learn are many, many mantras. And the mantras are in Sanskrit, and they're extraordinarily powerful. Um, I'm going to give you one, and this is what they, they sound like. Om Trayambakam Yachamahe Sagundem Pushtet Varanam Yavar Kamibhavananam Ritomukshyamam Rutat. So you have very magical words. In the Bible it says in the beginning was the word, right? So we know that human words are extraordinarily powerful. And these words were written down 10,000 years ago in India. God only knows who wrote them down. Maybe some kind of hybrid, you know. But they're very, very powerful spells. And the minute I do it, bam! The energy dispenses itself. But it's not anything a layman, I can tell you immediately, it's something that you would have to study with me for years to be able to do. So what, let me ask you a question. Oh, then, Doc. So are you, so you study with the Hindu and you talk about the Bible. Do you follow a specific religion or do you, how, how do you operate? Like I'm Catholic, um, I believe in God and the angels. How do you operate? Um, I'm not a really, I'm, I'm not really into what you might call re- religiosity or religion. I'm more mm-hmm. into spirituality. So, in my religion or in my house, there's room for everybody, and I respect everyone's path. I'm very much a universalist in my beliefs. I believe that you know there is there is a God, but that God speaks to everybody in everyone's language and everyone's religion. So I'm very respectful of every religious path. So do you believe a that? A lot of my life in the, in the Catholic Church, and at one point I was a Dominican, but now I, I became a Swami or Hindu, uh, and the reason why I did that was because the Hindu path is so open in its approach to all world religions and respectful of all people, all races, all nationalities, and that's my path. So do you believe that when you pass on that you have a choice, that you can choose where you go? Or do you believe... Well, I have, we all... I've actually passed on in this lifetime. Huh. I've flatlined. So in 1985, I completely flatlined and uh, okay. due to a penicillin shot. 
And um, so it, it, uh, I was out of my body for four minutes uh, with uh, no heartbeat, no blood pressure, nothing. And I remember the entire experience. So that experience was extremely enlightening to me. And what that experience taught me, I very happily told my Baptist relatives uh, that I was right. (laughs) Because uh, what I saw was an extreme, amazing, universal truth on the other side. You know you've got to explain that more to us now. You can't just say I learned the (laughs) truth. You've got to... It was it was amazing. It was just amazing. Um, when I when I started to die, and I knew I was dying, um, it was like swimming through a flux. And so I, it was like swimming underwater in my swimming pool, right? And the whole time there was this thing going on in my brain that said, "Seek the light, seek 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 the light," right? And so I went swimming in this, and I saw that shaft of light as if I were scuba diving and there was a shaft of light, you know, coming down through the water. And I got my hands in that light and I started going up into that light. And I thought, all right, this is the moment of truth. I'm going to find out. Was I right? (laughs) You know, is, is it going to be Jesus? Is it going to be the Jewish God? Is it going to be uh, Osiris or Isis? Who's it going to be at the, at the top waiting for me? And actually, what I saw, in all honesty, is I saw the god Ganesha, that is a, a Hindu god with an elephant head, and he was waiting for me at the top of the shaft. So, and then I was pushed back into my body. As many people talk about that have died, I was told, it's not your time, you have a lot more work to do, and I went back into my body. But it was pretty amazing to me to have that experience. Did you feel you had a choice at that point to come back? as a, a ghost or move on or, or is it just never crossed your mind? I, mean, uh, was I don't think there was a choice. I think it had already been decided for me. Um, I was basically told that I had come to this, to earth on a mission and the mi- mission was to educate people and to try to create more understanding and more love on this planet. That's what I was told. So they said, go back and do your work and work with children, work with people of all, all around the world and try to create more enlightenment, more understanding, more love, brotherly love among people. That's what I was told. And then I went back into my body. It was like entering a cesspool. So I, I didn't even want to go back in my body. I thought, you know, the state I was in was so pure to come back in this body was like going backwards. But I came back in my body and... Ever since I opened my eyes and I looked up at my doctor who was sweating over me and I said, I'm coming back to life now. <laughs> and ever since that happened to me, my life has just been great. Every single day of life is, is wonderful for me. And I'm at an age where most people have aches and pains and, you know, don't feel too good, aren't too happy, kind of depressed. But I'm never depressed, not even one day of life. It's just an exciting, fantastic adventure for me. So being as you experienced that, Doc, I, I'm and it's a hard question. It might not. I don't know. But, you know, people pass on and there's we believe there's ghosts to stay here. We Like you said, there is. You've experienced them. You've seen them. You've seen the apparitions. You've, you know, you've been right. through the whole thing. 
Right. Why are ghosts? If we if we die and, and it's ready to go, I mean, do you believe? Well, just tell me what's your. Why are there ghosts here? I mean, why do they stay back? Well, I think that I think a lot of people get stuck, and I think a lot of it's fear based. People are afraid of what they don't know, so that's why human beings are afraid to die. They're afraid of of what they don't know, what they don't understand. But I've done it. So I think that God gave me that experience to tell people, hey, look, you know, I've been there, I've done it, and it's not bad at all. It's beautiful. It's just like entering another doorway into another reality. So uh, for me, it was a beautiful experience because I think my state of mind is that of spirituality and I, I have a really good relationship with my higher power, and I love people. I, if you know me, you know that I'll be like your best buddy because I, I don't have an agenda. I'm just there to be loving. That's, that's my job. So um, I left in that state of mind, and I went to a really high, beautiful place. But I think if you leave this world mad and angry and you're killing yourself, you're taking your life, or maybe you're in a car accident and you have children – and, and you're worrying about your family, those kind of energies get stuck. And they're scared to move on. I think they're mostly scared about the people they leave behind. So, and I go in and talk to these entities. When I go into a haunted house, I, and I see them stuck. And, and, the, and there is a cosmic law that Madame Blavatsky said that you tell them, go to progression. That is a cosmic law. When you say, go to progression, that ghost has to leave. That's a law. So just knowing that is, is a very profound truth. They want to leave. They don't want to be stuck. But I think fear is the great immobilizer. And fear will immobilize you in life just as much as it will immobilize you in death. Do you believe in Do you believe in in hell at all? I mean, there, a lot of people will come on here and they <laughs> passed on, and they said they went to hell, and they they bring back stories of you know all this yeah. fire and brimstone. Do you believe in that? Um, you know, a lot of those things are lost in dialectics. It's the human mind, human mind's way of framing experience. And I can say that when I left my body, I saw that there were many different gradations of consciousness, many different places that you can go. And uh, there wasn't one heaven. There were like 20 heavens. And there wasn't one hell. There were 20 hells. You know, there's all these different lokas, uh, as the Hindus say, that you can live on. Uh, it, it kind of depends on what you, how you set your intentions when you're alive. What do you, where do you want to go when you die? What do you want to have happen? Because I, uh, even in the Bible it says, as you think you are, Right. So, so much of this has to, our minds are like these computers, and whatever you put in your mind, whatever you program your mind to believe, that, I believe, is where you go. That's the program that you've set in motion. There was a great movie called Brainstorm. I don't know if you ever saw it with Natalie Wood. It was actually the last movie that she made with Christopher Walken right before she passed away. That's a fascinating movie to watch where they actually have equipment that could record what happens to you when you die. And um, that movie was very similar to my experience of things that I saw. It looked a lot like the, the visuals in that film. 
Now, I just had a lightning strike. I apologize. I faded out again and came back. So we're luckily, I'm still here. I know something's going on. So. Yeah, I don't. I mean, it hit pretty uh, close this time. Okay. <laughs> but in in the spiritual world, uh-huh. and I guess there is a there is a couple situations that uh, me and Kevin ran into. And Kevin, you correct me if I'm wrong about this, but we've actually had the. And one of these was in Franklin, Kentucky, but we had a situation where we believed that an entity was on to other entities and not let them move on. Have you ever experienced that, or do you believe that one entity is more powerful than that? I call them wardens. That's the way I give them. Is they're like wardens in a prison. They control everything in a place, and if another spirit dies there or something, they move on to, to where they need to go. He kind of just like holds them there. Do you, you – have you – that or does that sound feasible from your experience in the uh, paranormal world? I hate to say it, that's something I've never experienced. Um, I do believe that there are extremely powerful servitors and masters in the universe that uh, people that I've met, both living and spiritually in India, that had tremendous powers of shepherding masses of people. And when you have a big guru, like let's say like Satya Sai Baba, or Ananda Moima, or, you know, um, Baba Muktananda, Nimkaroli Baba. These people were enlightened masters who had tremendous powers that were alive during the 60s and 70s that I had the good fortune of meeting. And I believe that they had the ability to shepherd people on the other side. But I never experienced anything like, you know, some sort of alien entity that was mean or terrible out there. Well, let, and, let me uh, explain it a little bit better. Uh, by the way, you, guys, one second. Uh, I just you, want to you, tell you, all my friends out there on Facebook that I'm probably – Facebook just alerted me that they're going to close me down here in a few minutes. So if I leave the screen, thank you all for joining me tonight for this fascinating discussion. And can you guys tell me where they can hear the whole discussion in case that we're going to lose our signal here? Yeah, yeah, no problem. Hey, listen, everybody, tomorrow on bbsradio.com backslash the Kentucky Ghost Hunter. Tomorrow this will be on there. You can listen to it uh, in its entirety. Well, not its entirety, but you can listen to the podcast version. We're on BBS. Also going to be on iTunes. It's radio.com. And we're on Kentucky Ghost Hunter. Okay. Yeah, and it's going to have the Kentucky Ghost Hunter. And it's at bbs.com? BBS Radio. BBS Radio. BBS Radio, BB, as in two Bs, SRadio.com, backslash, forward slash slash Kentucky Ghost Hunter. And you can hear the whole podcast tomorrow night, just in case I lose you guys here on Facebook, because they just alerted me. And for some reason, it looks like that we may lose our, our live feed here in about five minutes. So. Uh, well, that's about all the time we got left, too, so you'll probably be okay. But let me just say this, too, if they're listening to okay. me. The easiest way to do this is just find me on Facebook, the Kentucky Ghost Hunter, spelled out, and BBS has got a link to it and all that stuff. So there and find it anytime you want. Right. And, uh, and okay. we're also KentuckyGhostHunter.com. If you want to go there, got a link on there, too, for it. But uh, what and I was going to ask you, you, Doc, go yeah. ahead. Mm-hmm. Are you guys also on Facebook and Instagram? Can you have pages where they can find you? Uh, not Instagram, but we are on Twitter and we're on LinkedIn. It's just the Kentucky Ghost Hunter. I think on uh, Twitter it's at underscore ky underscore ghost hunter. Okay. On the Facebook page it is the Kentucky Ghost Hunter. 
and the website is KentuckyGhostHunter.com. I mean, you can go to any of them okay. and, and find And if they want to, you know, at BigRadio.com, if you look that up on iHeartRadio, iTunes, right. Stitcher, I mean, we've, we're on 60 or 70, I don't remember anymore, or podcasts, okay. they can find us. Even, we're even on YouTube and uh, yeah, YouTube too. So, but l- let me add, because we only got like 10 minutes left, and I want to I want to kind of explain where I was coming with that last statement. Here in the in the South, um, we mm-hmm. have situations where we have, like you had, Civil War homes, but we our Civil War homes are more like uh, uh, plantations. Slave owner uh, was the master, and what we ran into is that uh, these slave masters or these plant owners who passed on previously before everybody else did uh, uh, might have some pull slaves and, and other entities and the children and stuff that were there and that's thunder there if you heard that <laughs> but wow. uh, my question wow, yeah that's that thunder. Thunder. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, I'm really dedicated here i really am but uh what we've experienced is sometimes when they pass on they actually hold entities uh that are um i guess intimidated by them at this plantation, they stay there. Now, do you feel that's a feasible thing where somebody that has that much intimidation over another person could hold their spirit without move on? Um, I believe so. And, and I kind of put that under the same category as a hungry ghost. You know, when you have a ghost that has an agenda, a ghost that is, you know, very, very active uh, in that way of just, not wanting to leave a residence or not wanting to leave a person. Uh, it, that term, hungry ghost, actually comes from uh, ghosts working in Japan, right? So that's, that's basically, um, you know, what happens with a hungry ghost. They hang on to you. They will not let go of you. And they have the tendency to um, follow you and be with you. Is that what you're asking? Yeah, I, I guess because I've always had this theory, and I've I've, I've told it to Kevin, and, and uh, I just feel that there's ways that there's entities out there that have had a, uh, a like a, a slave owner to a slave, where they maybe be intimidated by the slave owner when they pass on. If the slave owner goes, yeah. she can actually hold those spirits on the plantation and not let them go anywhere. We've actually ran well, into that, and uh, um, there is something among Native Americans where sometimes I have seen. Uh, among certain tribes, that when a person dies, they fill every orifice with sage. And the reason for that is to keep that spirit captive within the body. So there is a certain amount of shamanism involved where they can keep a spirit inside your body and not allow you to move on in, in, in your journey to the next world. And that is something I've encountered in several different cultures as an archaeologist. In their burial rites, I will notice that every single, the mouth, the ears, the navel, every single orifice is stuffed with something to keep the spirit inside the body. you feel that works? Um, I think that a lot of shamanism works. I can't explain why it works, but I've certainly seen things and observed things that I cannot explain. Particularly working in Brazil, I had a lot of encountering with the voodoo religion, with uh, Candoble and Macumba, and there were certain practices in graveyards that I observed there, because I was in graveyards working 
looking at burial rites, looking at tombstones. You know, archaeologists work a lot in graveyards, so uh, I saw certain things happen that I could not explain, certain types of phenomena that I knew was on in the realm of witchcraft, magic, uh, you know, voodoo, uh, even... You know, uh, I was investigating some legends of zombies, that there were zombies in in certain places that I'd been, like Haiti. I've worked in Haiti. I have a home in Key West. And so I spent a lot of time in the Caribbean uh, observing various things in Haiti, Dominican Republic, and Puerto Rico. So I can't can't explain the phenomena that's going on there, but I've been in seances in Puerto Rico that were utterly profound, where apparitions were appearing in the room and at the table around the seance. So you believe witchcraft works? Uh, we've had people on here before that, that, that claim they're witches, um, and uh, I, a lot of people I, write and say, ah, crazy, word. but are they? Well, I'm not going to use the word works. I, I have seen witchcraft, the results of witchcraft, and I can't say what's going on there personally. But there seems to be very strong things about creating a thought form and sending that idea, that image out, can cause some definite harm to people or can create good to people. Once again, we're back to that as ye think ye are. And I think that so many people do not realize the power of the mind. Our human minds are phenomenal. I mean, we have a whole generation of people that their entire lives are on their cell phones, right? But the most powerful computer is right here between our ears. That computer is amazing. And scientists, as we can tell, we only use about 10 at the most, the most brilliant people, maybe 15% of our total mental capacity. So our minds can do amazing things that cannot be explained. And all really witchcraft is is just focusing your mind to achieve a certain effect through ritual and spell. That's been around... For over 10,000 years on this planet, I've seen evidences of it in ancient temples, in ancient tombs. It's been around for a long, long time on Earth, that idea. Okay, I got one last question for you before we get, we're probably going to get out of here because we only got like four minutes okay. left. I know they're going to be telling me. When you go to these archaeologists, <laughs> you know, when you go to these digs and everything like able to walk into the tombs are you able when you go there to take any of your paranormal equipment with you and and experiment a little bit or they'd look down on that you can't do something like that um they uh in egypt they're not always open-minded to that even some of our technology we've had to absolutely explain to them what we're doing you know some of these countries are still very very old school but uh they don't know what that equipment is so it's pretty easy to sneak in you know so and I've you snuck it. You snuck it in, correct? You snuck it in a yeah. few times. <laughs> I have several different programs that I use on my computer, you know, and um, also I've got equipment that's been given to me from different paranormal groups. I'm a member of Sin City Paranormal here in Las Vegas, and we do a lot of investigating, as you know, with a lot of equipment. And um, I've been very active with Airship Isabella down in New Orleans, Louisiana, and. Um, you know, I'm very respectful of that equipment, infrared cameras and all of that. So now they don't really question it. They pretty much let us come in with the equipment that we feel we need because they know if we have equipment, it will be less invasive, that we won't actually be making holes in tubes, 
And Egypt right now wants to preserve everything. They're in a big, big, especially with Zalawi, he likes for things to be preserved and the, the least amount of disturbance of these tombs. So, you know, we can pretty much bring it in. Cool, cool. Hey, listen, Doc, we've only got 30 seconds left on the air. Do me a favor, this tell everybody, if you, wanna, if you want to give them how to get a hold of you and know, all that stuff. Yes, and you can find soul, me at but... DocPhineas.com. <laughs> Feel free to tune in at DocPhineas.com. There's ways to reach me. Uh, I'm also at DocPhineas.net. And uh, you can also reach out to me at DocPhineas on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Tumblr, Pinterest, uh, swarm. <laughs> I am definitely out there. Reach out to me. And also on Facebook, we have the Steampunk Paranormal Society. It's a lot of fun to kind of follow our page and see what we're up to. Uh, really soon, I'm going to be doing a paranormal investigation here in Las Vegas of a celebrity home, a very, very big celebrity. So if you watch on Facebook, I'll give you information on that. I love Zach being Baggins? with you guys. I, I can't wait to come to Kentucky and be with you. Hey, come on. We we'll take you on. A ghost town of plantation out here. You can see what I'm talking I'll about. I'll try to bring my new TV show there. Let's do it. Let's do it. All right. I'm I'm ready for you. Openness. Thank you for being open and letting me tell my story. Thank you so nah, much. We thank, uh, thank you so much. Folks, listen, if you're going to catch up with us later, go to KentuckyGhostHunter.com. It's real easy to find. It's like we said earlier, and we're on Facebook, Twitter, and all that good stuff, too. But uh, until, Kevin, you want to say something before we head out? Oh, so thanks a lot, Doc. Appreciate your time and uh, your story. Thanks, thanks everybody out there on Facebook for listening today. I had a blast and really enjoy you being out there for me. And God bless everybody. Be careful. And, uh, hey, don't take any hungry ghosts home, okay? <laughs> <laughs> Amen to that. Amen to that. <laughs> Next All week, right, you guys. same place, same time. Yeah. BBSradio.com slash the Kentucky Ghost Hunter, 9 p.m. Central Time every Wednesday night. And we'll see you next week, folks. Thanks for listening. <laughs>